Okay. We're going to go back to Genesis. We've been here before. Not finished yet. Uh, this uh, It's so uh, rich, especially when you take it seriously and not as some myth or story to be told by the children and taught in Sunday school classes to children, but not believed on for... Uh, for life and life eternal, actually. So I'm going to read Genesis 2, verses 4 to 17, and Genesis 3, verses 1 to 13, and end with 22 to 24 of chapter 3. So that's chapter 2 and uh, verses 4 to 17. Let's now hear God's, God's word uh, to his precious Precious people. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field uh, before it grew for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it was parted and became into four heads. Uh, The name of the first is Pison, that it is in which compass the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Uh, There is Delium and Onyx stone, and the name of the second river is Gion. Uh, The same is it that compass the whole land of of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is <coughs> Hidekel. That is it which goes towards the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And then now skipping over to chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. God didn't say that, but... She said he did. And the servant said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. 
And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said to him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou should, should not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gave me, uh, <coughs> she gave me uh, of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord said to the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And then skipping to verses 22 to 24. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove him out. And he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Mm. May God bless mm. his word to our hearts once again, Lord. We are here in Genesis and we pray thee that thou be with us tonight as we look into this a bit more concerning the tree of life, which is mentioned here and also at the end as uh, in the new creation. So we are looking to that uh, and to this lesson in your name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Now I'm going to do a little something a little different tonight. And I'm going to interact with an article written by uh, Homer uh, Huxima, uh, professor, at the Protestant Reform Seminary back in the uh, last century there. I think he passed away in, in the 90s, late 90s. Uh, but, but he wrote an article about this, uh, the Tree of Life, and he brought up some really good points, points that I think will be uh, disagreeable to certain people, uh, concerning it, uh, one thing is that uh, people think that Adam uh, and Eve, if they had uh, not sinned, could have gained eternal life. Uh, that's debatable. And uh, although people believe that, right? If, if, they, if Adam never sinned, if Adam and Eve never sinned, they would gain eternal life, uh, different from uh, forever life. And uh, so he, he's, he's interacting with that, and I want to, to do the same and ask you to think about this. Uh, I want to challenge you to consider these things. As I said, this is, uh, Genesis is, I've, I've said it often, pregnant with meaning. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff here in so little, a lot, uh, especially if you take it seriously. And we ought to take it seriously. This is the word of God. As I said this morning, this is a real tree, the tree of life. It was a real tree as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as well as all the other fruit trees. They were all real. They had real food on them. 
And Adam and Eve had to eat real food in order to live. Uh, and they, uh, it was in a real garden that God twice in this, in this reading that you heard put Adam in. He put God, uh, Adam in. He said that twice. He put him in this garden uh, to till the ground and all that and to eat of the trees of life. Uh, Adam and Eve were un, uh, under a real sky with a sun to light up the day and a moon and stars to light up the night. And it was in a real day they existed, a 24-hour day. I mean, it's all real. Now, it has symbols. Uh, yes, some symbolism in it. And, of course, it does. The tree of life is somewhat of a symbol, but not exclusively. It was a real tree, as I said. But, uh, uh, but it has uh, significant significance in terms of uh, its, its outreach throughout the Scripture. But it is a real situation that we are to take at face value as we read it. And not listen to the, uh, the scientists and the educators and the, uh, the scholars of the day that oppose uh, such, such a thing. It's ludicrous to them, it's foolishness to them. As is the gospel itself, right? That, that, that Jesus died... To pay for sins so that we're forgiven? You know, I had a structure in, the, uh, in one of the, uh, the old uh, finds of Rome, and they, they had the structure of a, uh, of a man on a cross. And the man on the cross had a donkey's head. And that's what the Romans thought of Christianity and the gospel that Jesus died for the sins of the people, right? They had put a donkey's head, an ass's head. It was a, it was a jackass religion to them. And they, uh, <clears throat> they mocked it. Well, people today are similarly that way. They mock the gospel of Jesus Christ. Certainly, Genesis account is mocked by, by many. Unfortunately, many of them are Christians as well. Uh, but I want to talk about four things. The uh, significance of the tree of life, uh, its power. Uh, it's uh, the absence uh, from the tree. Uh, Adam was uh, and Eve were prevented to enter, and eventually the tree disappeared from the earth. And then finally, the imagery. And I'm going to, as I said, interact with this, this article that Professor uh, Huxmer uh, points out. Of course, there's no objection uh, to what he says here in the, in the introduction to this article. He says, Paradise the first was the earthly tabernacle of God with man. It was a real garden, like I mentioned this morning, is a real tree in a real garden with a real man and woman eating real food. You know, it's all real. And the, uh, it was a particular dwelling place of, uh, of man, God's uh, covenant friend in the state of righteousness. And so uh, the garden is, uh, is the place where God met with his creatures, his created man and woman. And actually, it, it seems to be that God met with them mainly near the tree of life. The tree of life was in the center of the garden. 
along with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so that's where God fellowship with man. Now the man was, as I, as I mentioned, and Huxley also mentions this in, in his article, that man was put in that garden. He was put in that garden because it was suitable. God created the garden for man to be in. So the man and the woman were there, and it was a place, an environment that was friendly to them. It it suited them. It was for them. It was not against them in any way. It had food to eat. It had the tree of life, which, which they could partake of. In fact, they could partake of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That included the tree of life. They could partake of the fruit of the tree of life. And in fact, they needed to do that in order to live forever. So that's pretty clear that the tree had that power. And we'll get to that in, uh, in a bit. This is just by way of introduction. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, we read this, uh, this scripture here where out of uh, uh, the ground... Uh, May the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight, good for food, the tree of life in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of this tree of life, man might freely eat. For the Lord God commanded him, of every tree of the garden, thou may freely eat. That included the tree of life, but not, the exception was, of course, the tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil, and that had its own significance, but we're not going to talk about that. I've already spoken about that a bit uh, before. So the question is, according to uh, Professor Huxima here, uh, what was the significance of this special tree, the tree of life? And, And then he he goes and he points out that there are various interpretations of the tree of life. And if you read in the nomenclature, there are. There are, there are a number of interpretations of it and for it and what it did. And so, again, I'm just going to share these things with you and I want you to think about it. I don't want you to be dogmatic about anything necessarily. I don't want you to pick or choose what I have chosen or anything. I just want you to be familiar with some of this. And so uh, I just quote here, According to some, the tree of life would actually have the power to give man eternal and glorious life. That's debatable. That is debatable. And he goes into why that's, that's debatable. That is, it would not merely have the power to perpetuate Adam's earthly existence in paradise, the first, but it would be able to give Adam eternal life in the qualitative sense of the term, heavenly life, eternal life, as the Christian obtains it through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what's going on here? If you believe that partaking of the tree, if Adam and Eve partook of that tree, the fruit of that tree, that they would gain eternal life, the same eternal life that we have gained through the sacrifice of Christ, that's debatable. 
there is another way to gain ever, uh, eternal life through Jesus Christ, other than through Jesus Christ, by eating from the tree of life? Is that what many believe? Yeah, that is what many believe. So there's an alter- alter- alternative to that. And I have always maintained from this pulpit that there is no other way to heavenly life than through Jesus Christ. Adam and Eve could never have attained it. Now they didn't. My argument was they never could have, could have attained it because they didn't. But the Professor Huxman is getting into it a little bit uh, concerning the, uh, the tree of life that many people think if you partake of it, you can gain the same eternal life that, Jesus, that you have now through Jesus Christ. So there's two ways to get it, according to God. Eat from the tree of life, don't sin. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just eat from the tree of life. And you have everlasting problem with that. And, and it is a problem. Is that Adam was created from the ground. It's mentioned a number of times, from the ground. He is earthy. He is not heavenly. The first Adam is earthly. The second Adam is heavenly, the heavenly man who took on flesh. But the first Adam is earthly. He lives from the ground. That's where he comes from, the dust of the ground. That's how he lives, off the ground. And so, the other thing about Adam and Eve is that they were perfectly content in paradise. They were not longing for a, some other kingdom, some other heavenly place. They were perfectly suited for paradise. They had no, no wants and desires unfulfilled. Everything was there. Plus, God was there. He walked in the cool or the wind of the day with them. They talked with him. They walked with him. And so there was complete satisfaction. There was no reason for Adam to long for heaven as we do, where Christ is. And so, it's something to consider. Adam, and they're clear in the Bible, he was of the earth. He was of the dust. He was earthy. He was not heavenly. Why he would long for a heavenly place when he's perfectly suited for paradise, in paradise, absolutely satisfied, completely, is a question. It's a question. Mm. And the other point that uh, that the professor makes in this article is that uh, the uh, the theory that you can gain eternal life through eating the tr- from the tree of life this theory presupposes that there might have been another way to the glory of eternal life than through our Lord Jesus Christ in other words in the divine economy of things, the descending uh, and the death and the exaltation of God's Son in the flesh were actually unnecessary, except as a secondary way to eternal life. Now, like as I said, I've always maintained 
from this pulpit that there is no other way for us to live in heaven with God than through Jesus Christ. Adam and Eve could not have obtained that heavenly life, that heavenly eternal life, in any way, shape, or form. And the fact of the matter is, they didn't. So there's no other way for us to get to heaven and live in the new creation than through Jesus Christ. The professor goes on to say, besides, it is evident from Scripture that even after Adam and Eve had sinned, the tree, if they had eaten of it, would have produced its effect. Did you get that? Let me read verses 22 to 24 to you once again. In chapter, uh, chapter 3. And the Lord God said, this is chapter 3, verse 22. Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden and eat and touch yeah. So, apparently... If Adam turned around and went back and ate of the tree of life, or God permitted him to eat from the trees of the garden and the tree of life in particular, he would live forever. doesn't say he would gain everlasting eternal life in heaven. It simply says that he would live forever. The tree had power. We'll talk about that a little bit more in, uh, in just a minute. But, uh, but we, we see that even after Adam and Eve sinned, they could partake of the tree of life and live forever. How does that work? How does that work? They sinned. They became corrupt. They died or death entered into their members. But if they go back and eat of the tree of life, from the tree of life, its fruit, they will live forever. Now apparently, eating from the tree of life was not something, a one-time thing, not once for all. They, they, had, they were earthy. They had to eat food in order to live. Apparently, the tree of life had some virtue and some power in it that sustained their lives that kept them from decay so that they could live forever eating it. Now, again, that's just one view. uh, There's another view that that says that uh, uh, some explain, and he points this out, others have explained the tree of life as a mere sacrament. Uh, This, according to them, is the whole significance of the tree of life. With respect to this view, we must remember that while there was a certain sacramental character to this special uh, special tree, 
it can hardly be maintained flatly that the tree of life was a sacrament. Why? Uh, why does uh, Professor Huxley say that? Because a sacrament is, uh, in order to be a sacrament, it has to be instituted as such. It's, it's not just there in the wilderness or in a garden and that's a sacrament. It has to be instituted and it has to be instituted by God or by the Lord himself as a visible sign and seal. That's what a sacrament is. It's a holy, visible sign and seal. That's what baptism is. That's what the Lord's Supper is. It's a holy, visible sign and seal instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So, although it has a sacramental character in that the tree does, does symbolize something, it's much more than that. It's, it's not merely or flatly a sacrament. Besides, sacraments do not have power in and of themselves, right? Uh, there's not grace in the water of, ba- of baptism. There's not grace in the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper. But there is power in the tree of life, the fruit of the tree of life. There is real life, forever life in the truth. So that differs from the sacrament as well. And then one more uh, view about this. Still others explain that the tree of life was, e- uh, was such that it would give perpetual strength to the physical nature of man. And that is certainly true. It will give perpetual strength to the man and to the woman eating from the tree of life. Eating from the other trees, yes, but the tree of life was special. It has special power in that its its juices, its its pulp, its food, whatever, was able to sustain life so that it would not decay. It would not die. And that was special to its fruit. So it's a little more than just giving strength. It, it, it does give strength to the body, but it's more than that. And so, let's explain what the tree of life does, the power from it. I've already touched upon uh, several points. <clears throat> the, the tree and its fruit have the power of giving perpetual earthly life to man insofar as he, had taken, uh, he was taken from the ground, Right? Adam has to live from the ground, from food that comes from the ground. He's of the dust. He has to live from that. Now, obviously, he's not able to literally live from the ground, but the tree and its fruit provided a connection between the ground from which he came and the life giving force that the ground had for him. And so the tree produces a fruit, so it's like a connection. The, the fruit of the tree is a connection between Adam and Eve and the ground from which they came. Actually, it's the ground from which he came. Eve came from his, his rib. <clears throat> so that's one thing about the tree. The tree forms a connection 
the fruit of the tree forms a connection between Adam, the ground, and Adam. And it gives the life that he needs from that tree. Uh, also, as such, uh, the tree of life was a, it was a symbol to Adam of the gift of life, perpetual earthly life. We must remember the nature of the tree in general. The tree transforms the earth into a living and life-yielding fruit for the living soul. And so, again, man's earthly, and he needs, earthly, he needs to live from the ground he comes from, and the tree forms that, that connection. It is uh, also uh, this connection that we may discern something of a sacramental character of the tree. Uh, even though it cannot be called a sacrament in the full sense, it was an emblem, a sign of God's covenant. It was a kind of visible and tangible sign of God's favor and of that higher aspect of Adam's life, which consisted in the knowledge uh, of and fellowship of God. And this is suggested in several scriptures. He points out several things. The name of the tree itself, the tree of life. It was called the tree of life. It gives life. It brings life. It brings perpetual life. It brings forever life to you who eat it. But again, it's not a one-time thing. Just like man has to eat on a daily basis, Adam and Eve had to eat in order to live. And they ate from this tree and they would live forever. They wouldn't get diseased. They wouldn't decay. They would not die. Also, in the second place, it is suggested by the antithesis of the tree of life in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the tree of life on the one side. You eat from this and live forever. You eat from that and you die forever. Apart from the grace of Christ. <clears throat> so the tree had a certain special kind of power. It gave life. And it gave Forever life, perpetual life, to say the least. It gave perpetual life. In the third place, is suggested by the fact that Adam might eat of the tree only in the way of obedience, so that when he sinned, the way of the tree of life was closed. So that's another aspect of the power of the tree of life. The power of the tree is there, and it gives perpetual life. It gives a ongoing life, a forever life to the earthly man, to the earthly woman. But you have, you can only eat it in the way of obedience. Once you sin, it's blocked. It's still there. And if you eat of it, you will live. You will not decay. You will not die. But God blocks it. It's only in the way of obedience that he could eat from the tree of life. And uh, the fourth thing that the uh, professor points out is uh, it is suggested by the fact that Scripture speaks in connection with the heavenly tree of life, the right to eat of the, of the tree of life freely. That's why it's a sacramental, uh, it's an emblem, because this tree signifies the tree of life in the new creation. This tree will be gone. But it signals and signifies, and that's its sacramental character, they argue. It signifies the tree of life in the new creation, in the heavenly place. I know, 
I hope you're following this, but it's, it's really, I like it. I uh, hope you do too. Uh, we must remember that the tree of life was more than a mere physical means for the extension of man's physical existence. It was the tree of life. Even though Adam's life was earthly, nevertheless, life also for Adam implied the favor and fellowship of God, his creator. Now, once that connection is broken and he's barred from the tree of life, he has no more communion with God. So there is an importance to this, uh, to have access to that tree. And so should Adam turn around and try to get to that tree? Because if he gets to that tree, he's back into communion with God. Is he? Well, we'll, we'll talk about that now. Let's talk about the, uh, <clears throat> the, the significance of this, uh, of this tree a little bit further. And it's... Uh, <coughs> Uh, the fact that Adam could no longer get to it. Adam and Eve could no longer get to it. And so, it's absence. The tree of life, the garden, the garden's tree, Eden's tree, paradise first, is gone. It's no more. And as I pointed out this morning in my brief comments, it was never meant to be. Paradise the first was never meant to stay. Everything about it was meant to be temporary. It was <clears throat> pointing to something else. All of it was pointing to something greater. Even Adam himself was pointing to something, someone greater. So, uh, the tree is gone, but not yet. Not yet. <clears throat> the question is why, and the answer is that Adam had remained in connection with the tree of life, he would have perpetuated his earthly existence. But the earthly existence in sin without God. So there's the tree. It's still there for a time as a witness to Adam that you have lost your life. It was there, See, there was no gospel at that time, no revelation at that time, except what God was sharing with Adam. So the tree, once he sinned, the tree witness that you are without God because this was your meeting place. This was where you communed with God. This is where you met. You and your wife met with God in the wind of the day, in the cool of the day, and fellowshiped. But now, no more. You're out of communication with God. Now, Adam could have tried to get back in and, and partake of the tree. But think about this that if he were able to, it would have been without God, because God was gone. Once the man and the woman fell, God was gone. God left paradise. He left the meeting place with Adam and Eve at the tree of life. So, 
Was it possible then for Adam to get back to that tree and partake of its fruit and continue to live without God? Well, God made it impossible because he had to learn as we have to learn. And this is an important point. He had to learn that he needs to leave this world behind. Once God left paradise, blocked the way of the tree of life, Adam and Eve had to learn that living without God in the world means death, eternal death, forever. You are dead in trespasses and sin, and you're going to live eternally dead in that fashion, being punished for your sins. Adam had to learn to live his life uh, in this world. He had to learn how to live with God. He had to learn how to get back to God. He had to learn that you couldn't go back to paradise. You couldn't go back to the tree of life and live forever in this world. This world is dead, is gone. It is no more. Because this world, brothers and sisters, is without God. And you have witnessed, you have witnessed before your eyes every day. When you watch these people, you listen to them talk, you, you, you look at their walk of life, their, their priorities and all this in, in their lives, the way they raise themselves and their children and all this. And it's a godless world we live in. This is a world without God. Just like paradise without God is gone. It's no more. This world without God is no more. It's lost. It's forever lost. It's forever gone. The way is forward. The way is forward in Christ Jesus. The only way to God or back to God or, or in communion with God, which was the intention of God all along, was to have... God tabernacling with man in Jesus Christ. Give up on this world. It is condemned. It is going to be destroyed. It is going to be replaced by a new world, a new paradise. And that is what Adam had to learn. That his world with God in this world is no more. The only way to have communion and fellowship with God is through Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. And of course, the plan of redemption unfolds from that point on. And we read about that in Genesis 3 where he's going to have the uh, Christ defeat the serpent at the cross, crush his head, and all that. Uh, the uh, the gospel is presented in in early form in Genesis chapter three, verse fifteen, and it goes on from there. And that that is the course of the Bible uh, sort of maps out how God is bringing man to His world, to a new world. In, in Christ Jesus. I want to talk in the last part about the symbolism then. 
the significance of the symbolism. As I said, and Professor points this out too, the tree was still there. When Adam and Eve were thrust out of the garden, the tree was still there. It's probably in their sight as they look back, but they saw the angel, the cherubim, and the flaming sword. They could not get past that. There was an entrance on the east, in the east, and that angel was there with the flaming sword. And the tree of life was in the centerpiece of the garden, the center of the garden. They could see it as a testimony against them. That you will no longer live in this fashion, in this way. You will no longer be able to gain perpetual forever life by partaking of the fruit of the tree. You must turn around and go forth and find out the new life that I have for you through my son. And so I just want to, uh, to, uh, to in the end, to just read this, the symbolism here uh, of, uh, of what we are looking forward to. <clears throat> uh, we mustn't forget that God had better things in store. He had better things in store for Adam and Eve and his children, not all of them, of course, but some of them. He has better things in store for us than that's in this world. We're so focused, brothers and sisters, and we're so tempted, and we fall short many times because of this world, because of our focus and our attention and everything in this world that grabs hold of us and holds us to it. This world is dead. This world is over. It's no more. There's no more paradise. There's no more uh, tree of life here in this place. The tree of life is in another place. And that's where we're to go. His purpose is to unite all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. That was his purpose from the very beginning. And that's still his purpose. In the glorious and heavenly new creation. Not this creation, but a new creation. With a view to the purpose, all things were adapted for, uh, from the beginning with a view to the end. Thus the earthly creation is an image of the heavenly. So it is useful. But as an image of the heavenly. In the things... Uh, in the things earthly are so many parables, so to speak, of heavenly things. And then he lists them here. Thus, paradise the first was an earthly picture of the heavenly paradise, the new and eternal kingdom of God in Christ. That was always its purpose, that the first paradise was just a picture and a dim picture at best, an earthly picture. For an earthly man and woman of a paradise eternal in the heavens that will never fade away and cannot, uh, from which man cannot fall. Adam was a picture of the second Adam, Christ, the head of the new united creation, right? I mean, Paul talks about that. The first man was earthly, the first Adam, the second one is heavenly. So Adam was a picture, an image, if you will, of the second Adam, Christ. The mist of the garden is an image of God communing with man. 
The river, and we taught, and I read those rivers uh, for you, the river is an image of the flow of life from God in Christ eternal to his people. The tree of life is a picture of the heavenly tree of life. The vision of that heavenly tree of life is recorded in Revelation 22. And we told, and Professor uh, uh, <coughs> Byron Curtis pointed that out. And then there you find the picture of the river of water of life in, in Revelation 22. You can read that again. There you'll find the picture of the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. The tree of life is pictured as bordering, this is in John's vision in Revelation 22, the tree of life is pictured as bordering that river on either side, bearing twelve manner of fruits and yielding her fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And then what he says here is really important for us to consider. What the reality of this vision that I just read to you about the... uh, (laughs) You know, the, the crystal river and the throne and the river flowing from the throne of God, the tree of life bordering on either side, the leaves for the healing of the nations and all that stuff. He's saying that what the reality of this vision shall be concretely, we cannot say. No one can say what that's going to look like. Is it really literal? Is there going to be a crystal river up there? Is there going to be the tree of life on bordering on this and and twelve fruits of it and the leaves, the healing of it? Is it going to be a literal thing like that? We don't know. Time will tell. We must wait to that day. So this is just some of the interactions that scholars have had concerning. A, a simple thing that we would read and just pass by and just accept and pass by concerning the tree of life and the paradise of God. And I'm just bringing this before you now for all of us to think about this, that this, this, this stuff is really deep and it's profound and it's educational and it's wonderful and it's something, brothers and sisters, that we all are looking forward to. I want to see what this vision that John had in Revelation 22, concerning the new paradise and the river, crystal river, and the tree of life and its leaf as the healings of the... I want to see this for myself, don't you? I want to see what, what the paradise, the first paradise, was really picturing about the, the new paradise, the heavenly paradise. And I can't wait. One of our younger brothers has already found out a lot more about it. So shall we. So shall we. As God said, Behold, I make all things new. Everything about heaven is going to be new. Including you. Let us pray. Heavenly Lord, we are thankful for your, your word. Uh, it, it prospers our soul so much to linger upon it and think and pray and, you know, talk about it. Uh, and uh, it just is so beautiful. Uh, Heavenly Father, protect our faith because there are many out there 
And some have even come and entered into the church to destroy our faith, to have us doubt, to have us question, to have us uh, uh, say, oh, well, when we get there, we'll know in the meantime, this world, this earth, this present situation is what my life is all about. No, it's not. You, Jesus Christ, your dear son, is what our life now is all about. May we hold on to that to the very end. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.